Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! And welcome back, everybody, to... Episode 19 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I have on. Ah, fuck. <laughs> I, just, I forgot. Yeah, Cully's not here. Um, all right. One, two, three. And welcome back, everyone, to episode 19 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I am Dwayne for Cully, who cannot be here today. He is under the weather, so no need to worry. We have a amazing special guest host on deck for you all. I have none other than former Sabres goaltender, Connor Knapp. Connor, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Sorry to hear about uh, Cully being under the weather, but um, happy to be on. Happy to, you know, shoot the bowl with you guys. Absolutely, man. And you know what? There's a lot to talk about right now. Um, a very interesting week, depending on how, the way you, how you want to look at it for uh, Sabres hockey. Um, you, you actually have some personal experience, uh, experience with some of the people involved. So that's why I'm excited to bring you in on this. Um, so let's just start from the get go. Um, you know, this past week, um, blockbuster announcement here in Buffalo, uh, Jason Botterill, now former general manager of the, uh, Buffalo Sabres organization was canned finally. Um, I wouldn't say it was a, a a decision that surprised many, but he it was announced three weeks before the firing that he was keeping his job. So it was a surprise because there was a lot of anger about them keeping Jason on. And then three weeks later, they end up giving him the ax. So, um, and then without even any hesitation, normally you have, there's a, a period, you know, to hire a new GM, you know, interview candidates and whatnot. We didn't get that. We got an immediate hiring of, um, Kevin Adams, which is surprising because he didn't, does not have the experience on the place, the player side of things, just the business side. So, um, and Connor, you've told me uh, off air, you have some experience with Kevin too from your playing days. So I can't wait to hear and put on that, but you know, just, uh, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Just your, your over your overall reaction from the last week of, uh, what's happened here in Buffalo. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, definitely news. I think, um, you know, because of this being the umpteenth time that, uh, you know, they have kind of cleared house, I think it's gotten into the national hockey spotlight a lot more. I think there's, you know, uh, you know, you're seeing on TSN and, and these big uh, networks covering hockey that, um, you know, people are, are kind of laughing at Buffalo, you know, like they're, they're realizing, like, wow, it is, it is really bad there. And um, it's unfortunate that, you know, you kind of had this flip-flop. I think that caused a lot of, um, a lot of the, you know, the ire, I guess, that's, that's happening right now. Is it, you know, they said one thing and then three weeks later changed their minds and, and then went with Kevin Adams, which you would think that, um, you know, them knowing him uh, for a long period of time that, that they would have never, you know, made that flip-flop. They would have just come right out and said it um, off the jump. But, um, on the flip side of that, I understand, you know, sometimes these decisions, you know, you can't tell the media, you know, your decision before you've had those conversations. Sometimes those conversations take some building up to do and, and, um, you know, maybe there's potential they were just put in a tough spot where that's the only answer they could have given while they made those, those decisions. So, um, tough to say, but I do know Kevin Adams, uh, he, he played hockey in Miami. I know him, um, you know, through that connection, uh, met him the first time uh, during the lockout season. Uh, he was working out in Miami. Um, so met him there and then he got involved with the Sabres. So knew him through that. Um, and I just, I know him to be a great guy, um, you know, would vouch for him in this situation. And, um, you know, everybody who works with Kevin knows Kevin uh, would say the same thing. I guarantee it. Um, so I would say kudos on that front. Um, I just hope that, you know, that's the, the long-term plan and not a, a placeholder type situation that we saw um, during my time with them with Ron Rolston, uh, you know, naming him head coach and then uh, kind of moving on from him as soon as they found uh, a replacement. Yeah, you know, and um, I, I almost forgot about his time with Rolston too because I believe he was one of the guys that was fired along with Ron when that when <laughs> the coaching changed from Ron to – it's funny. It's been a coaching carousel. It was, it, it was, uh, Miles after Lin, Lindy, it was Lindy. It was Lindy. It was Lindy. And then, it, and then it was Nolan. Bile, Nolan. For Nolan like two, oh, two then Bilesma. Then Bilesma. Yeah. The next year. Yep. yep. And, uh, so it's been a, we're on our six head coach, I think under this, uh, this ownership. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, Terry during the zoom conference call at the end, he, you know, thank Jason for his time and brought up how, uh, you know, this isn't the end, you know, of the road for you. you got a bright future. Ask Kevin Adams, you know, how, you know, because he was once fired by this ownership group too. And now look where he is now, which, if you, yeah, that's maybe sure. It's a nice thing to say, but you also told the guy three weeks beforehand that his job was safe, you know, and just from the, on the from an outsider looking in, you know, if I had no, ties to you know you know the sabers myself you know no fandom at all i'd be looking up like wow man that place is a shit show you got you get them going through six head coaches three general managers and, and barely a decade and and, and you're promising you promise them promising in the media that you're going to let them retain their jobs and then you, you know then you're canning them three weeks later yeah. so it's uh you know it's quite um an anomaly over down at uh, Seymour H. Knox Plaza. That's for sure. Um, 
but again, with all that being said, um, he went from, you know, Kevin Adams, you know, he went from being the senior VP of admin, uh, business administration, you know, which was, was, which was a position he was just kind of, you know, I don't want to say gifted because I'm not going to make it sound like the guy didn't earn it, but uh, was just given, you know, post, you know, we are all Dwayne, Dwayne Rant, you know, and uh, he was kind of made into the mouthpiece of the Pagulas because of everything that was happening from a fan level, all the, uh, the outrage of the team, the direction of the team, uh, the state of the arena and the fan experience, just a lot of stuff that was, that was, you know, you know, was start, starting to happen. And here comes Kevin Adams speaking on behalf of the Pagulas. And, you know, cause I actually spoke to him personally on the phone um, for about five minutes. Uh, they had, some Sabres fans had this, uh, um, you know, the pack the plaza protest uh, after the uh, the phone call with WGR went viral, and um, they didn't get the result they wanted. I, I personally wasn't there; I had to work. But uh, my dad decided to make an appearance. You know, you know, unprovoked by me. You know, he decided he wanted to go down and check it out. And Kevin Adams, after the media left, strolls in. And this is before it was announced that he was taking over this position with the Sabres, you know, invited everybody that was there into the arena for hot chocolate, I think donuts. And my dad being the guy he is forced the phone on Kevin Adams and said, here, you need to, this is, this is my son. You need to talk to him. And I, I'm, I think he told him who I was, but you know, uh, he said, he did talk to him. I talked for like five minutes and he, you know, with the good lines, you know, we all want the same things. This is not the direction we want uh, the team to be in, you know, you know, we understand your frustration. And then I think it was a couple of days later, Kevin Adams is all of a sudden the senior VP of business administration on WGR talking about what's the happenings of what's going on in Buffalo. So, you know, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say the guy isn't qualified to be the general manager because, you know, he has been around the league. He has a lot you, of success. I think you can say, you know, on paper, you know, and I think Kevin would probably be, you know, the first guy to say, yeah, on paper, you know, you, you could argue that I don't have the qualifications to be a general manager, but I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, people are talking, honing in on his, you know, experience on the business side of things um, being, you know, that those qualifications, but people, I don't know if they've forgotten or, or, you know, he played 11 seasons in the NHL, um, had a really good career and you just really can't um, <clears throat> kind of, quantify that type of experience you know being a player and um mm -hmm. especially in the years he played and and hopefully uh you know if i know kevin like we were talking about before we got on this uh you know this kind of movement or, or back and forth tug of war <clears throat> with the old school style of the game and new school you know and and how you know certain coaches gms people like that can find that good mix of things um, and, and maybe Kevin's the guy to do that because he, he did play the game, but obviously he's a smart guy. He was on the business side. Um, maybe he's, he's a good mixture of those two things and, and can find that, that right chemistry, but, um, you know, only time will tell with that. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Like, and that was the point, the point I was getting to is it was just, you know, we know what he, what he did as a player, um, the type of, the type of player he was. Um, he has experience coaching in this league, uh, like you said before with Ron Rolston. 
he was the head of the uh, Academy of Hockey here uh, down at the Harbor Center. So, you know, he has been successful to a certain extent in everything that's been thrown at him up until this point. Um, but now to take over a role as general manager to build a hockey team, especially with the, with the state that the Sabres are in right now, you know, we're, we're, we're 10 years into this, into this ownership and we still don't have a clear vision of, of the team and where we're going. Um, you have some money to spend. Um, finally, after a while of kind of being pushed up against the cap. And now you're just hiding in over the reins to a first-time, legitimately a first-time general manager. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where people get a little nervous. Me, you know, I'm willing to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Like, I'm going to root for him. He's my general manager. He doesn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to root against him. You know, I want him to succeed. I want this team to succeed. Well, it's just – you know, that's the beauty of the fan base, too. Like right now, everyone's upset, and, and there will be grumblings and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, people, I think, like you said, will give him the benefit of the doubt. I hope, I hope they do. Yeah, I mean, he deserves it. He hasn't, he, he hasn't, he hasn't not earned that, you know. Um, as much as people may want to say he maybe he hasn't earned the position of GM, but he also hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt, at least with me. Um, what really – irked me the most outside you know outside of everything else was when asked you know was there any hiring process where you know was anybody interviewed because the main reason one of the main reasons for the firing of Jason Botterill because they said the timeline of things changed when they realized the draft and everything was to be pushed back to this date and they realized they had so much more time to work with rather than before when they when they thought they only had this much time and decided to keep Botterill on three weeks before, excuse me, um, they, decide, they decided that, that now was the time to, to can Jason because they realized they had all this time now to make certain decisions. And, I, and I, it's, it makes me scratch my head because, you know, you're going to tell us that, you know, you know, now that you have more time to make certain decisions in terms of drafting and, and, and free agency that, you decide to go in a different direction with Kevin Adams. But, I mean, there are a lot of good assistant GMs out there on the market now, Chris Jury being one of them, um, you know, in the Rangers. Not that the Rangers would allow us to even talk to him because I think they're also grooming him um, to be maybe their next guy. But to not even do your due diligence there when you have all this time to make the decisions because, I mean, we might not be seeing an NHL draft until the fall now from, sure. from the way things are going. And – I, that just that, that makes me scratch my head because, you know, that's one of the things that has kind of caused this, this dismay with the organization is just kind of a lack of experience and leadership over this past decade. Um, you know, first-time head coaches, first-time GMs, not hiring experience, and then you have, you know, a person who doesn't have any experience – on the hockey or business side of things of running a hockey team, Kim Pagula as uh, president of hockey ops. Um, it's just, that was a big head scratcher for me um, that, you know, you given all this time that you now have, and that being the reason why you fired Jason Botterill. Now all of a sudden, you know, well, forget interviewing a single person. We're just going to hand a job to Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that kind of, that kind of, Maybe, like I said, scratch my head a little bit. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, uh, Connor. Yeah, I, I mean, they certainly contradict themselves when they say, 
you know, oh, all of a sudden we have all this, a lot. you know, and, th and then they come out and say, you know, oh, we made our decision, you know, it didn't take too long. I guess we didn't need all that time that, that we were alluding to. Um, so I get why, you know, it's confusing. It's frustrating for, for the fan base. You know, it feels like, you know, they don't have a plan or they don't have direction. And, um, you know, that may be the case. Uh, it may be the case that, you know, they do have a plan, but there's a, a disconnect or, or some, some learning curve on how to, you know, roll that plan out to, you know, to people and, and be more transparent. Um, I think transparency, you know, whenever there's discontent uh, between two parties, a lot of times transparency is, is part of the problem. Um, so I think that, you know, they could handle the media a little better uh, as far as, you know, being more direct and, and answering their questions yep. and, and being prepared. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a major league franchise. It, it, it requires a certain level of attention. And I think sometimes the fan base feels like it doesn't get that. It feels like, um, you know, they have other business interests and, and things uh, going on. And maybe the Sabres don't get the attention that other owners um, give to their teams. Um, yeah. On the flip side of that, I think, you know, I like to think, I guess the optimist in me likes to think that the Pagulas have a plan for Buffalo and Western New York as a whole, that they see the Bills and the Sabres, uh, you know, critical parts of. Um, but there's other, you know, there's many other facets to it. Um, so, you know, while they might not be being paying attention to the Sabres, they might be paying attention to the Bills or they might be pay paying attention to downtown development or, you know, plans for a new arena. Who knows, you know, what billionaires do <laughs> on their day to day. Yeah, we, um, we don't, we, we certainly don't know. <laughs> right, right. We certainly don't know. So it's, uh, it's hard to say. And, th and I think that's the biggest frustration is people are kind of throwing their hands in the air like, you know, we can only trust in, you know, the make believe or the behind this, you know, things are happening behind the scenes so much before, you know, I start complaining about it and, and getting, you know, really pissed off. Yeah. And you know what, um, this all kind of, you know, we will tell back to the day they bought the team too, for me is, you know, the, the, the speech that Terry Pagulby gave, you know, the sole purpose of this organization is to win a Stanley cup. There'll no be no longer be any financial mandates, you know, I get, you know, or restrictions as far as you know, you know, how they'll spend money on players or you know personnel. And then you look at the way the last couple of years have gone, and just it seems like the financially influenced decisions. And just like, was that all a lie? Like, was that all a lie? And that that's what gets I me. Mean, if we would have did this, if we would have did this episode, honestly you know, a few days ago, I'd be a lot more fired up now because I've had to, I've given myself some time to level <laughs> yeah. out a little bit. Right. I was actually, on, I was actually on hold with WGR for two hours wow. the day at all. Oh yeah. I was showing up in the bulldog. Didn't get through. First time I've never gotten through. And the first time I've ever been a hold for 20 minutes. Well, that, and that, and my call, my, my call was dropped twice oh. while on hold, which has never happened before either. Um, I'm, I, I like a good conspiracy theory, so I like to think that maybe uh, they didn't want to hear from Dwayne from Tonawanda. <laughs> not, 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 not for a second. You've got a blacklisted number. It gets redirected, just continuously. <laughs> keep so they keep putting me at the end of the queue. It's like, oh, we can't let this guy on. Because I, 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 I hand, got, hand, to the, hand to the headphone to my mother, man, I've never waited more than 20 minutes on hold. Yeah. Um, and I, my call has never been dropped on hold. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because we are in 
uncertain times. A lot of stuff is being done on, loca on location right now. So maybe there was some technical difficulties. And, you know, we, we, you know, there was a probably not probably there was a very high volume of calls that day because of what just happened. But, um, you know, like I said, I like the conspiracy theories. So uh, yeah. maybe I'm, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, guy where I think the earth is flat, but you know, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with that. I think that maybe they didn't want to talk to Dwayne from Donawanda that day. <laughs> Cause I was, I was fired up. I was ready to go. Um, but here, here's the shady thing, Connor too, is, you know, we know about all the firings that happened that day. Um, but coming into that Zoom conference call with Kim, Terry, and, um, you know, Kevin, which is funny to me because I, I tweeted it out too. I was like, nobody gave two fucks about talking to Kevin Adams for the first half an hour of that Zoom call. It's like we have Terry yeah. and Kim for the first time in a year. We, regardless of what was it face-to-face, we have them to answer questions to us directly. We are fully taking advantage of that, right, right. and uh, we'll get into that in a few a minutes. But up, uh, a lot of pent up aggression. Oh yeah, can, I, I, you can only imagine. You see us as fans, how pissed off we are. Could you imagine with the, from the media perspective? You know, and there's good media and bad media here in Buffalo. I like to think, you know, again, uh, you know, not even a conspiracy. Theory, I am fully convinced that the media or the media was what helped fuel the uh, eventual trade of Ryan O'Reilly because I thought they turned something. Uh, something that he said into something it wasn't. Um, but, you know, it was the shady part of this whole thing was we knew about the firings of, you know, Jason Botterill, uh, you know, Randy Sexton, and um, uh, his name escapes, uh, you know, assistant GM Randy Sexton and Steve Greeley. But they waited till after this call to literally can everybody else, including the entire staff in Rochester, where I think that was a joke because. You know, we all saw the quotes from Chris Taylor afterwards. He was blindsided by this. He didn't see this coming. He has a special needs child that needs like, you know, you know, he has no in two weeks will no longer have health insurance to, to care for. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, having a little common sense. I, I know Chris Taylor is respected enough and has enough, has had so as much success as he has that he'll find a job rather quickly. Um, at least at the AHL level, I think he's the type of guy where if, you're on the fence with the guy, with the coach you have now, you probably fire him to bring in Chris Taylor. Um, so, you know, I know he'll be right back on his feet sooner rather than later. It just, it really pissed me off to see, see how they did him in. And not to mention that, I don't know if you know this Connor. they made Kevin Adams make all those phone calls and fire all those people. I, I that's insane that. to me. Yeah. That's a tough first day on the job. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Kev, congr congr congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's your list. Yeah. Here's the list. Fire everybody. Um, I don't know. You know, I think, um, you know, people like Chris Taylor and, and these other people, it's unfortunate during a time like this, too, with so much uncertainty to, to lose your job. Um, and, and, you know, a guy like Chris Taylor, if he's going to pursue coaching, that means probably having to uproot his, his family. and. Um, you know, that's, that's tough. Uh, you know, I would, I'm sure a lot of them feel like they're getting thrown out with the bathwater, you know, kind of collateral, yep. damage of, of, you know, dysfunction at the top. And, and that's gotta be super frustrating, uh, to not feel like it was your fault and, and not within your control from the get go. Um, 
so I mean you're right Chris Taylor you know um we'll, we'll be back on his feet but uh it sucks and it's you know Kevin Adams you know put in a tough position um you know he's got the same basically if you get offered the GM spot and you know you you refuse it do, do you still have a job you know are you still part of the organization um you know it's one of those situations too where he's in a position maybe where hey if I don't if I don't, uh, you know, execute here, you know, I, I'm the one uprooting my, my family and, and looking for a job. So, yep. it's, you know, that's the nature of business. And I think, you know, I would, I hope, and I think that most of those people understand that, that at the end of the day, hockey is a business at this level. And, um, you know, sometimes heads roll uh, and it's, it sucks. It's brutal, but that's what it is. Yeah, and you know what? Um, another another theory on that was too was that maybe that was the final nail in the coffin for Jason Botterill was maybe he people seem to think that he he refused to do what they asked Kevin Adams to do is to make all these firings. And here's the thing, I get it. Okay, so we were, there was over 20 firings that on that day. Um, some of the names outside of what we already mentioned were you know um, Rochester coaches. Chris Taylor, assistants Gord Deneen and Toby Peterson. Then you had the director of scouting, uh, Ryan Jankowski, and his assistant, uh, Jeff Chris, and like several other of the scouts and developmental coaches. And here's the thing like, I don't disagree with the scouting thing because this team has, you know, no offense, Connor, because I thought you were a phenomenal goalie, but this team has drafted terribly. Uh, this isn't a jab at you, buddy. So, this isn't a jab at you, I promise you. The Although six round draft pick, you know, I got two games. You know, that's a decent <laughs> return. Decent return out. <laughs> it's right. It's right. I got one um, assist. So I would say assist. whoever scouted me should have gotten a small bonus that year. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of you know develop, you know where these players that they've drafted, at least in the higher rounds, have you know ended up. You know, they've done a terrible job. You know, and I can go down the list. You know. Most more recently than anything, you know, you know, Casey Middlestat, you know, you know, the book isn't, you know, the jury is still kind of out on him. But you, you, you look at these first round picks, we've, you know, from Ristolainen, who, you know, we're 400 games in with him and 25 years old, and we're still talking about his potential. And, you know, you know, like, what? Like, like the guy's been around for how long? I get, you know, he's, he's arrived, you know, Risto. Yeah arrived on the scene in the NHL, you know. Yeah, there's no reason to think that this guy still has, you know, that hasn't reached his full potential. Right. Like, he's had plenty of time to develop. Um, and I have an argument, actually, I'll, I'll play my own devil's advocate for that in a second. But Nikita Zadorov, uh, you know, guys like him, Zach Cassian, mm-hmm. other, other first-round uh, first picks, you know, Nylander, all these guys you took with high picks, you know, Rasmus Asplund, who's been in the the AHL for a few years now, and we're still not sure if he's going to make the roster. He was a, a I think, a second round pick. I want to say. Um, I mean, I, I'm not off the top of my head. I'm not sure, but just all these terrible decisions that this team has made um, as far as drafting goes, and it doesn't surprise me at all. Like I, I'm happy. I, I'll never be happy that somebody loses their job, you know, because at the end of those people have families uh, to care for. But I'm happy that, you know, we're finally deciding to go in a different direction as far as the scouting side of things goes. But, again, with that all being said, now you have this first-time GM who literally has nothing to work with now. Right. Who, who, the, who the fuck's going to run the draft? Yeah, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing in the coffers, like, as far no. as 
Yeah, I don't, that's an HR for any business, staffing-wise, yeah. difficult process. So, yeah, they got a lot of work to do, I, I guess. Um, you know, they better get... bring in DJ Milk? Hopefully. DJ Milk, get over here. We, 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 we need out of scouting. Hopefully, yeah. scouting just for the trap. Uh, maybe they'll give you a call, Connor. That um, could be like a Hollywood movie where they bring in, you know, the Goulas bring a scout from the Buffalo Bills over to the Sabres, and he has a whole new outlook on hockey and comes up with a, a championship-winning system. And <laughs> oh, my God. No, I mean, we're thinking about Russ Brandon right now when they brought Russ Brandon over from the Bills and how terribly that worked out for them. Jesus. It's, uh, uh, it becomes one of those things, you know, within the organization, I think that man, like ownership – it's hard, especially ownership like Terry and Kim, you know, where they're still on a learning curve in the sport of hockey. They can't themselves and the business people they bring on board who don't know hockey, you know, either intimately, um, they can't identify when there's a problem with the team. They can't identify if it's a scouting department because the scouting department blames the coaching department. The coaching department blames the management department for making trades and, and stripping them of assets and signing bad contracts. And, you know, the, the blame circle goes round and round. So if you can't, if you can't, you know, put everything under a microscope yourself with your team and really, you know, know, okay, we just have to cut this segment. We have to revamp this segment. That's the problem. Then you're left with, we have to clean house and start from scratch again. Um, so I think that that plays a role. I think that the hockey and experience is, you know, definitely the, the underlying factor for a lot of the, you know, uh, mistakes and, and, you know, uh, distrust from the fan base. Yeah. And, and, you know, how, like, and, you know, speaking of like, you know, distrust from the fan base, you know, I've listened to it. You listen to it. We're going to play the clip here in a second. But the second, like I mentioned before, no one really cared to talk to Kevin Adams right from the get-go in, in this conference call. But Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News really came for the jugular when it came to Kim Pagula uh, right from the get-go with a three-part question. We're going to play that right now for you real quick. But, uh, you know, he didn't hold anything back, and he's been – he asked that, that last part of that question. One of the same questions we've been asking now for months is, you know, what, what, in, what, what, what has Kim Pagula done for, to, to, for, for – us to believe or for her to deserve to continue to hold this position with the uh, head of hockey operations or president of hockey operations. So we'll play that right now. Mike Harrington, Buffalo News here. Um, question is mostly for Kim. As John Morrow talked about, you certainly made a change here in these three weeks. Do you regret your statement? And secondly, and two other quick points, do you regret that answer? Secondly, why another first time GM when that route has failed you twice? And lastly, ultimately, why should anyone have faith in you as the team president, given the way every virtual, every former employee, whether it's a coach, a GM, an executive, or another worker, points to your scattershot leadership as the number one problem in this organization? Well, um, Mike, uh, no, I, I don't regret saying that, Jason, because that was truly, that was our intent. Um, and that was the direction that Terry and I both talked about when I talked to John three weeks ago. Um, and like I said, you know, there has been a lot of things going on in this world right now. And there, we are not the only club having to take some deep looks and how we move forward. And I think that's really what this was all about. Um, as far as, um, I forgot why, uh, how you named it, but um, as far as, listen, when, when we, when I, and just, you know, although I am named president, you're correct, but Tara and I were both, we're a tag team in this. But listen, 
we we're going to keep trying like this this is something that you know the savers have been a love of ours for a long time terry even more so um but and this is something that we're very passionate about and we are not going to sit there and keep saying well you know what we tried it this way and it didn't work so let's not do let's not try anymore and i think this is what it's about we understand that you know listen uh, you know, on the bill side, it took us several times there. We got, you know, we feel like right now we got the right people. We're going to keep trying. We feel like Kevin is the right person. And we felt like at the time that we made those other decisions, whether it was leadership, whether it was coaches or, um, or GMs, we felt at that time that they were the right person for the organization. And that doesn't always uh, pan out the way it's supposed to. But um, I will tell, you know, you guys and, and the community that we're going to continue to try uh, and get us to where we need to be. Let me, let me add something to that. Uh, there's a difference between interviewing an individual for the first time and never having met that individual and putting that individual in a position of uh, trust in your organization. I don't care if it's a sports team, a bank, uh, a newspaper, whatever. Uh, we have known Kevin for nine years and keep jamming him with responsibilities and he kept rising up the ladder. He's a very knowledgeable and passionate person. He's a great communicator. And uh, this, this isn't some uh, scattershot decision uh, that we made. So, uh, you know, that, that's the way it came down. Okay, Connor, we just, uh, you know, listened to that. And, uh, you know, you know, like I said before, he went right for her jugular, you know, you know, said this scattershot leadership, you know, um, you know, you know, what, what makes you believe that you still deserve this position? Because it's my opinion, I don't grant she's only held this position for like two, two and a half years now. It's my position that <laughs> if she wasn't the owner of the team, she would have been fucking fired by now with the because she came in right before Ryan O'Reilly was traded. And sure. uh, I got a bone to pick with that, too, in a minute. But just, you know, all these terrible, 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 terrible decisions that have been made uh, on the hockey and business side of things. And she's been the leader of all of it. And she can try and say that she has no say in hockey decisions at all. But I think she's full of shit. She definitely has a say. The owners, both of them, have a say in the, in the hockey decisions that have been made over the last two years. And I, I, I refuse to believe anything else. Yeah, I mean – and there is an element too of unknown where, you know, is it, is it really Kim making these decisions? And she does, you know, kind of allude early on to like, Oh, you know, it's not just me, you know, Terry, we're a tag team. I'm a tag team with Terry. And, um, you know, they have other people involved. It's hard to say, you know, is she fully accountable? Even if she isn't, I think she should, you know, I think whatever the arrangement is, if you gave her that title, then she has to be, you know, prepared to answer those questions. And, and that's, you know, her responsibility. She's going to hold the title. She needs to be able to. Um, she did not see that coming. No, no. And, and no. I'm, I'm, it was probably rehearsed quite a few times before uh, they, they went live uh, uh, by Mike. And, and yeah, he, he, he went for it out of the gate. And, and she did, you know, kind of dodge, you know, a direct answer. And, again, that's kind of the theme of the frustration here. Um but it's, you know, you talked about the Ryan O'Reilly. It, it, it becomes, you know, another theme here, I think, is 
they have an outside view of what they think a hockey team should look like. And I think a lot of people who aren't on the inside of these teams and, and have been at, at these high levels, um, there is an element that you can kind of control for and, and measure and, and kind of objectively look at and quantify that, you know, somebody who hasn't played the game can, can learn and understand and, and put together. But there's also an element, you know, these hockey teams, like it's a war. The season is, you know, an absolute battle from, from start to finish. Um, and then the playoffs are, you know, taking up a, a six more gears. Um, and there's an element to that that, you know, unfortunately management, and this happens in a lot of sports, management can't comprehend what, what's going on inside that locker room on a day-to-day, what the players' mindsets are what the coaches' mindsets are, the culture, the, you know, behaviors going on. Um, it's very difficult uh, to, to not have that intimate knowledge of hockey and, and have your pulse or your finger on the true pulse of the team. You know what, and you, you teed me up perfectly for what I was going to bring up, you know, I mentioned I was going to bring up earlier, is when it come down, came down to Ryan O'Reilly and his, you know, departure from the team and to see absolute fleecing in that trade by, by the St. Louis Blues, you know, what we got in return and, you know, how that all ended up. And, I, and I'll and i die on the sill that that was the worst trade in the history of the NHL as for as for a result. Um, it couldn't have gotten much worse for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, you know, you, you had Patrick Berglund who, you know, lost his love for hockey and just decided to fly back to Sweden and just stay there. And then you have Vladimir Saboka who – they gave away his number at the end of the season to Wayne Simmons and said, well, sorry, bud, you're going to we're going to give away your number. Um, and then uh, we got Tage Thompson, who was essentially their, their third best prospect in, in St. Louis. Um, and then we got a first round pick, which was at the end of the draft, of course. Um, so, you know, we were fleeced in that. And I, I look back at that and, you know, what he said, and here, here's the thing. And I, I mentioned where I believe that the media, that there's a good and a bad side of the media here in Buffalo. And I believe the bad side of the media, most uh, more directly, Paul Hamilton uh, was the one who threw fuel on that fire every chance he got um, when Ryan O'Reilly came out and said, you know, he lost his love for the game. I, he, just had, he just had a fucking moment of honesty with the media. And let's yeah. be real. You're not going to find a guy, and I'm sure you can speak to this, Connor. Um, you know, you can you can you know tell tell us that story about when you when you came in for those two games, the uh, demeanor in the locker room. Uh, you, after after I, after I make this point, um, but it was you know how could you be upbeat at all in that locker room after the the seasons they uh, they put together. Yeah. Uh, you know, losing season after losing season. It's just like, how do you come to the rink with a fucking positive attitude? Because it was just miserable. It was miserable for fans. It had to be miserable players because, you know, they're getting booed every night because, you know, under Housley and, and, and me as a season ticket holder watching it every night, it was just like they, they stopped playing for him. Mm-hmm. You saw it. You know, they, they didn't forecheck as hard. They didn't back check as hard. They gave up on plays. It was just they completely gave up on Phil Housley. And, and then, um, you know, you have Ryan O'Reilly here, have this moment of honesty with the media, and then in comes Paul Hamilton, and every chance he got, even before this, 
he would talk about in post-game interviews how Ryan O'Reilly would always shoulder the blame. You know, oh, I got to be better. He made it – he turned it into a negative. Like, in my opinion, that's what a leader does. They try and shoulder the blame. Who's supposed to yeah. shoulder that blame? Jack Eichel? Is Jack Eichel supposed to shoulder that blame? 21-year-old Jack Eichel? Like, we're supposed to put that on him? Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, this is just like – that's what I can't stand I mean, about some of the media personalities here in Buffalo, man, because it's not – it, it, sometimes it's about getting clicks and, you know, getting people to listen or read your stuff rather than actually reporting what's really happening. And I just think Ryan O'Reilly really just had a moment of brutal honesty and it was turned into something. It wasn't, the narrative was flipped and it just really drives me insane. And I know you could touch on that Connor with, you know, when you came up for your two games with the Sabres and the demeanor and the, and the, uh, the culture in that locker room. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, in response to that, like you just have me thinking about, uh, you know, there is in sports across the board, this kind of notion or trend for ownership to treat the athletes like, you know, regular employees, like, you know, I'm paying you millions of dollars, you know, you do what we tell you to do and act how we tell you to act. And, you know, you know, stay in line, you're a W2 employee, and we'll trade you, fire you, you know, talk bad about you, whatever it is. Um, otherwise, and and I think that that approach just at the end of the day it just never works. And I think that was part of the Ryan O'Reilly story too. Was you know he, he was honest with the media, which I totally get. You know, hockey players were, were trained from a young age to be able to at the drop of the hat, you know, give you a boilerplate media statement about things. And and when you're losing so much and not doing well for so long those boilerplate statements just, uh, you know, get really old. And, and, you know, the guy just finally was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to speak truthfully. And, you know, for him to face backlash for that, it's just totally unfair and, and totally against, uh, Agreed. you know, and, and that's the problem I have too with the idea that, you know, they want to change the culture and they have a specific vision for this team, you know, similar to what they're doing with the bills well, if that's the case, and that type of stuff, that type of stuff has to go because you know any good team, um, you know, has uh, good lines of communication uh, between players and, and management and ownership, um, and uh, you know, players fearing backlash for speaking openly and freely um, is a great way to limit feedback and, and you know move forward. Yeah, and you know what. Um, and, and Kim Pagula said before that she doesn't make any decisions on the hockey, you know, the roster side. You know what? Bullshit. You're not going to sit here and tell me that there's a deal on the table for Ryan O'Reilly after everything was said and done. And you're going to sit here and tell me Jason Botterill wasn't, didn't consult you or Terry. Get the hell out of here, man. Like, like, like you oh. trade a guy like Ryan O'Reilly from your roster without consulting the ownership, especially when – the president of hockey operations is one of the owners. It, you know, there's no way that was an absolute lie. And I personally think, and this is again, maybe in a conspiracy theory, that I feel because they, they traded him before they were due to pay him all that money. Um, and obviously they were able to get rid of the contract too. On top of that, that you know, Terry and Kim pushed for him to get out of Buffalo because, because of the, the, the financial aspect of things, because that, I mean, the return for it was essentially a salary dump on us by, by St. Louis, which was a joke. Um, and I, I, I don't know, man. I just, it just goes to show more of the inexperience at 
at, at the position for Kim Pagula and Jason Botterill because I can't believe that. Here's my thing. Here's my theory of it is if that's the only deal, if you if this isn't financially fueled at all, if that is the only deal on the table for Ryan O'Reilly, you don't trade Ryan O'Reilly because you are not getting what he's worth, what you got in return. Not at all. There was nothing in that package. I mean, Patrick Berglund wasn't even, you know, a third-line center at best, not a second-line yeah. center. He's not the guy that's going to supposed to bridge you to Casey Middlestat, who you hope to be your eventual second-line center. That was ridiculous. And then you lose him the following year. Like, it was just, you know, yeah. I, that, that right there is all the proof I need about how, 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 how much say they have on the, uh, the hockey decisions, you know, for this team because – there's just no way I, you can convince me that they didn't have a say in Ryan O'Reilly being traded because that was a joke. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that there, there's no way that they were not in the loop on the decision-making process for that trade. Um, I think that, you know, if it was a, if it was a strict, strictly you know, them approving it, um, you know, that makes the GM decision-making, you know, absolutely horrendous because you're right, it was a terrible trade. You know, one of the worst all time in retrospect. Um, and most people, uh, you know, before even, you know, he, him going to St. Louis and winning cup and the MVP, you know, people were calling it a terrible trade long before that. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I would disagree that it was financially motivated. I, you know, I just can't imagine that being financially motivated when, you know, and this is something that doesn't really get mentioned as much when every time they clean house, you know, these GMs and coaches and, and, you know, same thing as the players who, when they eat salary cap on them, they're giving these GMs and coaches big payouts, millions of dollars in payouts, yep. millions of dollars in restructuring and bringing new people on signing bonuses, guarantees, all that. So I don't think it's financially motivated just because they seem so you know willing to throw money away, you know, just to clean house. It's like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll just eat that, you know, compensation package. No big deal. Um, they're, still, I, they're still paying Cody Hodgson and Christian Airhoff, and they're paying three GMs to not work for them. Cody, you know, Cody kind of, from my understanding, I knew Cody a little bit. You know, he kind of soured on on hockey and, you know, got into coaching. And, and you know, he was able to do that pretty much because of his Sabres deal, uh, you know, yeah. being so huge. And, uh, uh, you know, deals like that. But that's why I, was, I don't think financial uh, – you know, things were taken into consideration on that deal. My, if, if I were to offer up a theory on it, I would say that they didn't, if the Pagulas had involvement in that decision um, and the GM was not on board with it, but they forced his hand, I would say it would have been because they didn't feel that O'Reilly was a culture fit. I think that um, like we've talked about, he's, a little more old school guy, you know, Canadian boy, you know, play, loves hockey, loves the game and, um, you know, it, enjoys being with the boys and having a couple uh, beers after the game and having a good time. Going to Tim Hortons afterwards. Right. Right. You know, you're picking <laughs> up what I'm putting down and I don't think that um, ultimately they felt that was, you know, the chemistry they wanted. And again, it's, you know, there's all sorts of uh, branches from this topic. I mean, you're you're going to interview Clint Malarchuk, and I'm sure you know, um, you know, substance abuse and mental health things will come up in that conversation, and um, that's what I'm talking about: having your finger on the pulse of the team and understanding, you know, what a hockey player goes through through the course of an NHL season. 
And, um, you know, it sounds to me like uh, O'Reilly was, you know, borderline depressed, if not depressed, you know, for, and, and that's how much these hockey players care about, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, all these guys, yes, they make a lot of money um, and they live, you know, they have a good time in the summers. Yes, they do. But, you know, 99% of these guys care deeply and, and are emotionally attached to their success on the ice. And uh, it, it really impacts them. You know, you're seeing it with Eichel and Ristolainen where they're just, it weighs on them. I, and I agree. Like, you, you can't convince me that Ryan O'Reilly didn't care because, oh, you know, well. it showed – you know, and there's nothing to like more things told by the media. Yeah. Yeah. More, thing, more things. No, go ahead. Well, that's the other point is, you know, did the guy like to have some beers after a game? Sure. Like, you know, most guys do, but was he the hardest worker on the ice? You know, you talk to anyone who was close to him. Everyone says, you know, one of the most tireless workers, you know, just puts every ounce of blood and sweat into it. So, yeah. You know, that's what you want on your team. That's what you want. Absolutely. That's what a leader is. And the, the, again, the, the narrative that there were also issues between him and Jack uh, on that team, which I thought was a bunch of bullshit because yes. I, I, I read that Jack, you know, went to game seven to watch Ryan win a cup, you know, as, as, a, as Ryan's guest, as Ryan's friend. So just more, 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 just a bunch of BS that was created by the media here, Paul Hamilton specifically. I, I have, I have, I have a, an axe to grind with Paul Hamilton, man. That guy is as yeah. soft as they come when it comes to Buffalo beat reporters. And it's just, you know, yeah, I, never, I, I don't want to – no, go ahead. I never knew O'Reilly, but, you know, he, like I said, he's an Ontario guy, came up playing hockey. And, you know, if I had to guess, he's the type of guy that all he wants is for everyone to be having a good time and to be winning hockey games. So Yeah. And, and, and you know what, uh, you know, on Matt Barnaby's podcast, uh, I believe Tim, uh, Tim Grandma, Mike Harrington was, a, I, I believe he was on as a guest, and he flat out said in a conversation with Ryan O'Reilly's dad, his dad flat out said they never wanted him to leave Buffalo because uh, he was happy there and he was close to home. Yeah. He was extremely close that. to home compared to Colorado before that. So, you know, it's a bunch of bull bullshit that, you know, he wanted to leave, you know, that, that narrative that was created again by the media here in Buffalo. It was just, you know, a guy just being honest and, you know, being nailed to the cross for his honesty. And yeah. it sucks, man, because you see what happened the next year and you see this team in the build right now. And, you know, last season, the Sabres, you know, it wasn't like when they were playing for Housley where they gave up. They never gave up on Kruger. Like they played 60 minutes of hockey most nights. Yeah. And, you know, it was just – it became more obvious last year than ever that, that it was more of a lack of talent that was missing this team most specifically, you know, your, uh, your second-line center and, you know, another scoring winger um, or, you know, a, a skill position winger. And, you know, it, you know, it, <laughs> I just laugh at it. I really do. Um, just um, you had that. You had that with Ryan O'Reilly. If you could have slotted Ryan in on this roster from this past season, then I think I, – I, I don't just think I know you're probably looking at Sabres, the Sabres as being one of these teams in this uh, return to play playoff they're getting ready to do. Sure. Because, you know, it wouldn't, have all just, it wouldn't have all just been on the back of Jack. Ryan would have been there too as, as a born leader. I mean, Ryan, used to, Ryan O'Reilly used to hold skates here, um, you know, before or after, you know, team-led skates. 
it was it was called the O'Reilly skate where you know he'd come out and run run a skate and run drills and you know certain things that he would do on his own and you know ha- have the other players do it as well um I remember Sam Reinhardt took some heat for a little bit because he stopped going to those skates uh you know a few years back um you know so it's just you know I look, I look back, I look at that and it's just so frustrating, you know, on this roster that that guy could still be here and we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. You know, yeah. Yeah. the, the, we are all Dwayne, we are all Dwayne movement never even happens if Ryan O'Reilly still a saver, putting it that way, which I'd rather have it that way, honestly, because, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have nothing but good things to say about the Sabres than what we're talking about right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's definitely pieces there. I mean, uh, on on defense you know obviously um you know have some core pieces if you had o'reilly up front you know i mean you plug 75 points and a plus 15 into the lineup yeah yeah it's going to have dramatic results and then you know if you add the intangible of, of continued chemistry with eichel and others it's uh yeah that's what makes it sting so bad is that now it's like oh man you know it's even worse than we thought so and you're not you're not forcing guys like Marcus Johansson to play out of position and ask him to be a center when they've been playing winger for how many years? Just because he played center at one point in, in his career doesn't mean you just throw him back into it and expect him to be a full time second line center in the NHL. And you could you could tell just from watching him play, he was playing out of place that he you know he didn't belong there. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. Oh, yeah. And you hear that from guys who, you know, would prefer wing, but they get put at center um, and vice versa. Even it, it, it really throws them off. It's super frustrating to not play their natural. You know, it's like a, telling a quarterback, we want you to play running back. You know, it's just not, yeah. not what they want. And it doesn't, uh, it, it, it has ripple effects, these things through the whole organization, the development of young players, you know, playing outside their comfort zone. And again, it goes to that thing where you have to understand, you know, does do Terry and Kim Pagula know that playing a left wing at center consistently may be hampering his development or frustrating his game? You know, that they're not automatons. You have to take these types of things into consideration. And, you know, hopefully, like we said, you know, they leave the hockey stuff to Kevin Adams and, um, you know, him playing the game. Hopefully, uh, you know, it doesn't always translate, but hopefully it does in this case. Yeah, and you know, um, speaking on you know you you, you brought up the, the football you know football there for a second is you know people like to to look at the Bills as a reason to be confident that they'll, they'll figure this out because they yeah. figure out the Bills. Well, first off, um, it's my opinion, and you know I know there's a lot of people out there that agree with me, and 
it isn't, you know, that it's not just my opinion that, that they got lucky with the Bills because when they hired Sean McDermott, that wasn't the sexy pick. You know, that was coming off of Rex Ryan. That was the safe and cheap pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not very often you see a coach get hired first and then the GM because he pretty much, I mean, Sean McDermott pretty much picked his own GM because the ties in Carolina um, mm-hmm. with the Panthers. Um, you look at that first year, they lucked into a playoff, uh, a playoff berth um, in the wild card on a heroic drive by Andy Dalton in a game the Bills weren't even playing in um, to only score three points in a, in a playoff game against the Jaguars. You don't make the playoffs next year. This past season, you go 10-6. and six. The first time they've won, you know, 10 games in almost 20 years or whatever it is. And, and um, on paper, the easiest schedule in the NFL, not to mention – you had Andrew Luck retire before the season even started. So that's one quarterback in the AFC you don't have to worry about, yeah. uh, you know, having a good record, you know, go against you that you're going to have to compete with. And then big Ben Roethlisberger down for, down for the season, which, you know, the night we clinched a playoff berth against Pittsburgh, we were going up against a guy named Duck Hodges who threw four interceptions. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. like, you, know, you, 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 you can't sit here and tell me that, you know, they, they, they – when they hired Sean McDermott and eventually Brandon Bean, that they knew what was going to happen. You know, they were safe picks, you know, they, 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 you know, they, it wasn't like you were bringing in John Gruden or another, you know, like, like, like a, um, you know, uh, a Mike Tomlin type guy or, you know, a very sought after coach. Cause it's my, my belief that if the state, if the bills don't hire Sean McDermott, he probably doesn't get a head coaching job that year. He doesn't because he was, at the, he was at the bottom of a lot of lists. He wasn't high up on people's lists. Um, so it, but it worked out. So far, it's worked out. This next season, the Bills have their very first, you know, that staff has its very first big test. Luckily, we added a guy like, you know, Stefan Diggs to the mix. But, you know, it's a much tougher schedule this time around. And it's really, you're really going to see what the staff is, you know, if, it's, if they're worth all the hype that, that they've been given. So, but I'm not going to sit here and give Terry and Kim Pagula all this credit in the world for those hires. Like, and look at that and point to that as the reason that I believe that they're going to figure out the Sabres because I think they got lucky. No, honestly, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. Um, you know, excellent points by you on, 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 you know, the bills. And, and I think, you know, on a, on a grander scale, football, just the sport of football. So different. The smaller sample size with the season, you know, you know, 16 games, you, you can uh, kind of win the lottery and, and make it through, squeeze through. You see it all the time, you know, end of the yep. season, right down the wire based on, you know, extra points and field goals getting kicked. Um, and I, football is much more, you know, far more than I, you know, can comprehend based on my knowledge of football. But an X is, my understanding is the X's and O's of football are deeply complex and uh, hockey yep. X's and O's only go so far. It's, it's a, it's a more, it's a much less tangible, you know, formula for success in hockey than I think it is in football and, you know, football fans might disagree with me, but. Um, well, here's, here, here's the thing, Connor, is there's a big, there's a much larger margin for error in the NHL. You have an 82 game season. So right. you could have four or five bad games in a row, but you can bounce back from that because you have 82 games in an 82-game season. You get exposed in the NHL. Over 82 yep. games, you suck, you get exposed. That's simple. Yep. You're, not, yep. you're not making the playoffs. So. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do that in the NFL where you put three or four bad games in a row because you might as well kiss your playoff hopes goodbye if you do that. Another thing, too, 
is in the NHL, the Sabres are going to get the same schedule every single yeah. year. They're going to get Sidney Crosby the same amount of times. They're going to get Alex Ovechkin the same amount of times. Right. You're going you're, to you're, you're get Connor McDavid twice a year. You're going to get Leon Dreisaitl twice a year. You're going to get Austin Matthews four or five times a year, however, however it breaks down, six times. Um, you know, but in football, you might not get Drew Brees. You might get Drew Brees once every four or five years. Aaron yeah. Rodgers once every four or five years. One, 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 uh, you know, once every four or five years. You know, it's not, you know, the NFL, like you said, you can luck into an easy schedule like we did. You know, yeah. the, the best two QBs we played against last year were, were Dak and Lamar Jackson. And you notice how I left out Tom Brady because Tom Brady was an absolute dumpster fire both times he played against us. And those yeah. were two games the Bills True. should have won. I went to yeah, I went to the one game uh, and yeah, we did not play well. You know, we were right in it, so it was yeah. Uh, yeah. I went to I, I went to a couple. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I went to a couple, and I went to the game in Cleveland with a bunch of my buddies, and that was a game that should have been theirs. You you can call the the forward shovel pass there at the end of the game where initially it was called a fumble. I think uh, Jerry Hughes ran it in the end zone. Uh, and it was called back, and then Mayfield, you know, walks down the field and leads a game when he touched on drive to win the game. But, you know, I, I, I look at that, that was a perfect example, is just you're playing a team that you should beat, and you gave the game away. Same thing with the New England games. You should have won both those games. Yeah. Funny story, though, while tailgating in Cleveland, um, I had a few soda pops in me, too, you know, while I was tailgating, and I uh, – there was a, there was a, there was a, a crowd of people around a folding you know folding table and they were rooting for this guy in a Cleveland jersey to jump through it to show up Bill's mafia right and I'm embarrassed to tell this story but so you know I'm looking at him and he's, it's like one of those big old school Volkswagen shaggy wagon type things yeah, yeah. sitting on top of it yeah. and I'm like yeah. you know what I was like fuck this guy I'm gonna go jump through that table so I go <laughs> through my I throw through the crowd like guys I got this I don't give a shit I'm wearing my Freddie Jackson jersey I'm feel I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. And I get up on top of this thing, and I'm looking down, and I'm standing, and this guy who owns the the, the, the Volkswagen goes, you don't, don't stand, get down, don't stand. I'm like, well, what do you mean, don't stand? The table's all the way over there. Like, how am I supposed to jump through it? And yeah. I'm like, he goes, no, you can't stand. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so I'm like, I guess I'll just scoop well, myself. You, he wants you to sit in just... the roof of the van first? <laughs> And, and scoot and scoot off the Volkswagen and scoot. I'm like what? So I literally gave myself the hardest push off my ass I could get off the Volkswagen. I land on the table and it doesn't even go down, doesn't break. I'm like, oh god! I people got video of this. Luckily, it didn't go viral. Or anything, you know? You know? Luckily, <laughs> luckily, because that was really embarrassing. <laughs> Little did you know that. They boofed you. They had a two by four under the table. They're like, "Let's get a bill." Oh yeah, oh for sure. <laughs> and then of course, of course, the guy right after, right after me, seeing that I didn't get hurt doing it, he stands up and you know jumps straight through it, leg drops oh, through no. it, breaks the table. Yeah. And I'm like, "Come on, man! Like, why could that guy stand? What the fuck is that all about?" Like because the, he's wearing like the pickle jar. You know, you, you loosened it up, and then the next guy was able to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what happened. <laughs> I don't care. I'll admit it. And I'll tell the story, but um. You know, you know, now that we've touched on all that Sabre stuff um, and, uh, and whatnot, you know, you know, we got this return to play um, happening. And um, we, we learned a couple days ago that uh, a premier player in the NHL, Austin Matthews, has tested positive for COVID-19. 
Um, first off, I think it's a fucking Bush League move that this was released to the media or the media released this because due to HIPAA law, that should have never happened. You're exactly um, right. It, it, I think that's disgusting. And, you know, now, now he's at home in Arizona quarantine. He's prob- his phone probably hasn't stopped blowing up since this all started. The guy should be allowed allowed that type. And I'm, granted, I hate the, hate the Maple Leafs, but, you know, that guy should be entitled to his privacy when it comes yeah, to stuff like this. Yeah, 100%. And now you see Tampa had to shut down their facilities because I think of positive cases or people were showing symptoms. You know, man, I don't, I don't know about you, Connor, man. But I just think they should just call it a day. You know, just focus on next season. 100%. I agree. You know, it's crazy what they're doing. I understand, you know, they're, they're losing money hand over fist. But these, these, you know, what I would like to see is how much, you know, uh, money – from the feds that, that these teams are have gotten their hands on as far as PPP, you know, idle loans. Um, I'm very curious to see that because if, if they're going through all this, not to make up a shortfall, but to get that money that from the government that made up their shortfall and then still turn a profit, it would be very frustrating to see that. Um, and yeah, I just don't, I think it's a pipe dream. You know, what we're seeing uh, with, you know, surges in cases and rebounds in other countries and other parts of the world. Um, I just don't see, you know, it happening without, you know, serious consequences. And I think as soon as those happen, the plans go out the door. So why, why are they, you know, why is everyone killing themselves to make it happen when they should just make, you know, make the draft a big thing and, and, uh, you know, plan for the next season. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, work towards the draft, free agency, get that rolling. And Mitch Marner said it best. It really is Mitch Marner said, what if somebody dies? You know, like, I know, I know it's a slim chance. What if somebody dies during those? that has a, a compromised right. immune system? Right. You know, um, well, you're you know. The spread on the ice, you know, guys hopping and puffing. And it's like. Yeah. You know, like One guy gets it. You know, everybody's going to get it. Everybody. Yep. Yeah. You know, no, Grant, you return to play and you're in the middle of the playoff. What if Austin Matthews doesn't get it now, but gets it during then? How yeah. fair is that? Like, that, that's not fair. That's not like, you know, it's, it's not like you're chancing players getting an injury. You know, you, you're putting 20 to 30 players in together and chancing that one of them could have it and then yeah. bring it into a locker room or on the ice right. and just, right. and, you know, and like right. you said, you're hitting, you're hitting each other, you're making contact, you're sweating on each other, yeah. spitting on each other, whatever, whatever maybe. You know, it's a joke. Like, yeah, these ideas that, you know, they're going to create, like, plastic bubbles and stuff. Like, What's that going to do? You'll have guys pass out. You know how many times guys spit and, you know, blow snot rockets and yeah. you know, all uh, Yeah, it's disgusting, that ice. You know, the shavings they're picking up, disgusting. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's just – I think they're living in, in fairytale land when they, when they see this happening. To be, like, in my opinion, really the only sport they can carry on right now is, is you know, the – the crazy uh, UFC guys with their fight island, you know, out in the middle of the ocean, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, because it's yeah. people, you know, and they can just televise it. But other than that, you know, it's uh, – and plus the, it's – think about the games with no fans in the stands, you, you know. Like it lo- loses all – so much juice and, you know, the whole spirit of the thing is, is uh, you know, tainted in a way, you know. Beating off the fans, you can't, you can't. What are, right. what are they supposed to do? What, 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 you know, what's Tampa supposed to do while they're playing? They're looking for energy. It's just to look out and watch, you know, John Tavares and the stands watching him play. You think, 
you know, you know what I mean? Like, cause that, that's essentially what's going to happen in these hub cities. You're going to have other teams in the arenas watching these games, you know, you know, you hopefully know. socially distancing. Yeah. I think one side of it is, you know, how the players are going to get up for it. Um, and I think there's, you know, maybe teams that just can't find that energy, but I think on the other side, if they do pull it off, um, you know, without events going on and surges and all that, um, it would be a pretty awesome experience to be on one of those teams. It'd be like, you know, like it'd be like a pee wee tournament. Yeah, know? I was about to say the same Everybody thing, like a pee wee tournament. Suits, you know, want to do the scout, yeah. on guys, and yeah, it would be. You know, I think they would enjoy and make the most of it. But at the end of the day, you know, is it worth it? And I don't think it is. You know, I think no. it's concerning what we're seeing with the whole coronavirus situation and, um, you know, sports. You know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. It's it's not uh, it's not a need. It's a want. And right now, I think um, you know people should be focused on the, the more important things. Yeah, and you know, Robin Leonard said it best a couple of months ago when he's interviewed over in Sweden. That you know, it's ignorant to think that we can pull this off. You know, look yeah. what's happening in Florida right now with the the, the okay. massive second wave they're getting because yeah. they, they 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 thought this was all a hoax. And, it wasn't that big of a deal. Opened up beaches earlier, and we're not even getting we're we're not even getting a full taste of anything because you see what's happening in the world today with these peaceful protests. People yeah. gathered together massively, and I know a lot of them are still wearing masks. But you're still you're still shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people. Yeah, so yeah. I think things are going to get worse before they get better here, man. And it, you know, unless you're NASCAR, where you're 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 kind of you're forced to be separated from the other athletes. Right. I mean, I don't know how you could honestly consider returning to play in the NHL and thinking that, you know, this is going to work out. Because again, I state like, what if you're the Sabers and you're in this and you hear that Jack Eichel has it and he gave it to Victor Olafson and he gave it to Sam Reinhart? Boom! You're down three or four of your top players and you're calling up the best players in your AHL roster to come play for you. Like, how is that fair? It doesn't make any well, sense. That's, that's the Why? thing. I feel like as soon as they start even hosting practices, you know, if you think about every guy on the team and the essential staff, uh, you know, probably a hundred people like per team, you know, that are yeah. involved in, in, in playing a hockey game and each of them, you know, let's say they have six people. So you've got to control for 600 people who then have, you know, six other connections. It's just impossible to do. Uh, you can't control for it. And I think as soon as practices even start, they'll start being positive tests and they'll say it's, a, you know, no chance. Yeah. To do this. Like four, four or five practices in, there's going to be positive cases. I bet. Yeah. It's, it's going to be insane, man. Like I just don't, I don't see this working out in the end. I see, I, I, and, you're gonna lift the COVID cup, the Corona cup, you know, like, you know, right. you know, especially, you know, I, I look back at the year the Sabres lost to Carolina to get to the finals, you know, how Carolina got there, all the injuries that the Sabres had, and then obviously the injuries that the Oilers dealt with in the finals, losing their starting goalie and their backup goalie to injury. And I forgot, I can't can even tell you. I know Ty Conklin was on that team. I couldn't even tell you though who the starting goalie yeah, Dwayne Rolison was a starter, and then yeah. Ty Conklin was, I think, the backup. Ty he might have gotten hurt. Ty Conklin, and then it was – oh, this is a good one. This is a good trivia question. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of it. Who is the big guy? He's a big Swedish guy, I'm thinking. Let me – let me. Uh, I got to know it now. What's yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's going to bug me. What year was that? 
That would have been an 06. 06. 06. It's like Augustusson or uh, some, some Swedish name, I feel like. Yeah. Isn't that the goalie that Toronto went and got? Too? Yeah, yeah. Remember I, him? Yeah, the monster. Yeah, I remember I went to a Sabres, uh, Sabres-Leafs game with my buddy uh, around Halloween time. We dressed up for the game. And uh, I got we got real drunk, and um, we I think we yeah we won the game. And on the way out, we were, I was chirping with the Toronto fans. I yelled to them, like, "You guys fucking suck so much! You went all the way to Sweden to get a goalie to convince to come here, and he still fucking blows. He still lost. Like he yeah, that, have was, good that was deep Toronto, like in their downswing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was bad. That was you know they, they that was like right. our savior from Sweden. I mean, he he was good, but like he, the transition from the big ice to the to the small ice is, you know, it's a huge adjustment. No joke. No joke. Yeah. That's different, like, especially for a goalie, different angles. I feel like um, especially for bigger goalies, you know. Yeah. Right, the adjustment, like you you end up playing. You have to find your, you know, you have to be so much more conservative on your depth. Um, and some of these goalies, like you, I, I would say, like uh, Jacob Markstrom is one of the like most classic examples of a guy who's had to really change his game from an athletic, flowing type of style to a more rigid, rigid, structured style to to excel on on the small ice. But um, it was UC Markinen. UC Markinen. When you said Markstrom, I thought is that that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Mark, yeah I remember now. You you brought that up too. Linus Olmark's a, a classic example of that because yeah, that yeah. last year with Housley, you know, he kind of more depended on his size and you know his ability just for pucks just to hit him. And I thought Mike Bales, Balesy, I thought he worked really well with Linus in the off season because I thought I saw a different goaltender this year. You know, better footwork in the crease, uh, better on his angles, not yeah. just relying on his size to stop pucks. Um, very high, it's a completely yeah. different goalie. I'm very high on Allmark. I think uh, I think he. I think he, absolute stud. I agree. Yeah, absolute steal of a of a. You know, I think he is a sixth round draft pick too, late round draft pick. Um, you know, was I happy when they drafted him? Yeah, maybe not so much, but uh, no, yeah. really good guy. You know, I knew him only a little bit, uh, but um, yeah, you know, I think he could be great. You put a solid team around him, and as he continues to develop, you've got a bona fide starter. You know. I'm a big fan of his helmet. He has the minions on his helmet and stuff. Yeah. I was always a big – my favorite helmet of all time was always uh, obviously the Cujo helmet, but the Patrick Laleem helmets, the Marvin the Martian helmets, I used to love those back when he was with Ottawa. Those were awesome helmets. It's funny you mentioned um, the Cujo helmet. I wore 31 pretty much exclusively until pro, um, and it was all because I loved Curtis Joseph, and, and I liked him mainly just because of his helmet. <laughs> you know, growing up, I was like, that's the yeah. coolest helmet and nickname. <laughs> Outside of outside of Hashik, he's my dream interview. I really want to get Kujo on this on this show. I mean, he's yeah. a tough he's a tough guy to get a hold of. If you get Hashik on here, he's like running for you know president, president of the check. Yeah, he's he's big time still. Yeah, wow. and he he's very he's very uh, vocal about what's going on. I don't know if you saw that. You know, he criticized Donald Trump here. Uh, not to get political, but he he criticized Donald Trump on his Twitter account, which was auto was, was like whoa, <laughs> yeah, calling calling out Republicans and Donald Trump. This is not, this is awesome. Could you imagine his campaign posters and doing like full splits, like you know, yeah, vote for me. <laughs> vote for me. Yeah, vote for me. Uh, put this slinky for a spinal cord in office now. <laughs> right, right. 
Um, but uh, speaking of which, you know, you saw, I, I saw today, uh, you know, we'll end the show, no, show on this. I saw something that like, you know, really, really moved me, um, you know, with a lot of, especially uh, um, this, the racial and social unrest in uh, the country right now. I don't know if you caught this, Connor, but in the NASCAR, you know, the NASCAR today, yeah. um, after the news of, you know, someone putting a noose in uh, the garage area of Bubba Watson, the only, only, you know, African-American driver in NASCAR, someone put a noose, you know, some coward, disgusting human being, um, you know, they, they rallied around Bubba Watson today and they pushed every driver walked alongside Bubba Watson's car today before the race started and every crew crew member walked and they pushed Bubba Watson's car all around the track to the start to the starting position and he got out of the car and he was in absolute tears like he couldn't believe what was happening and I look back at this this was the last sport I thought would embrace what is happening now and I don't know if that makes me ignorant but like I mean wow man they've done the best job they've attacked it the, the best you know right. they, they they you know it's crazy and then you see this this show of support for Bubba Watson today is insane and how NASCAR vows to get to the bottom of this and they're going to completely delete whoever these these pe- person or people are from the sport that just blows my mind because yeah Roger Goodell came forward you know a week or two ago and said that they got it wrong four years ago when Kyle Kaepernick first took a knee which I completely agree with because maybe some of this could have been avoided if we would have taken it seriously then but, you know, for NASCAR to be the sport that takes the, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd and all the social uh, unrest that t- come from it and really turn this all into a, I want to say a positive, but as positive as you can possibly, fi- uh, possibly find in the situation and how they're attacking and bringing, you know, you know, a pot, not to say a positive spotlight, but just trying to really attack what's happening and have them be the sport that's doing it. That's insane, man. Absolutely insane. And it really, it really gives me hope going forward, man, because I really want to see a day in this, in in this country where we don't have to, you know, you know, people of color, you know, African-American, you know, any, any person of color has to worry about, you know, the color of their skin um holding them back anymore and that that really touched me watching that today that was wild yeah i I agree with i agree with all that yeah absolutely just fucking wretched that someone would would do something like that but uh kudos to to nascar you know who you know in the age of you know corporate profit making and and you know not doing you know the social part well um being an organization with probably you know, you can call again, you know, maybe someone could throw statistics my way to refute this, but probably would have the most to lose from taking a strong stance on this, uh, um, comes, you know, out of the gates, uh, you know, all guns a blazing, which is awesome to see. Um, but yeah, there's just no, no place for it in sport. If you're a true fan of sports or competition, um, you know, inequality is a disservice to, um, the the idea and the concept of, of competition in sports because it, it excludes people and you can't get the highest level of competition in sport if you're excluding people. Simple as that. So. No, you look you look back at the age of baseball. You know, before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and all the records that were being sent back then. You know, you know, since then some of the best 
baseball players were, were African-American or Dominican, Hispanic. You know, could you imagine if they were allowed to play before Jackie Robinson, what the record book record books may look like? Yeah. Same, you know, same thing in hockey, you know, like, um, you know, not, not, you know, not to that extent, but like, you know, back when Europeans and Russians weren't allowed to come here, you know, when Gretzky was setting records, you know, what, what, you know, the, the very best goalie in Russia, Russia's history, uh, right. Trechiak never played a game in the NHL. Right. Uh, you would, you know, you know, would the record books look the same if those guys were allowed to come here a lot earlier? You know, obviously it's not the same, you know, within the same realm of it's the same breaking con- a color beer. It's yeah. the same co- conversation, but, you know. You inclusive it, to, to get the highest, highest level of competition. If you're a fan, you know, if you're a fan of baseball, you, you, you're loving Jackie Robinson, you know, light up the stat sheet. You're getting to see more, you know, amazing yep. plays and home runs and, and um, you know, all that. You know, if you're a true fan of the sport, then, then you're loving all that. And you can, the people who aren't, aren't, aren't really fans and uh, really don't deserve to be. So mm-hmm. um, good for NASCAR. And, uh, you know, hopefully we keep seeing, you know, sports is one of the biggest platforms across the world and even more so probably in the United States and in most countries. So they can't, you know, I think the NFL is trying to live in this bubble of, you know, we shouldn't comment on that and we don't want to get involved and we just, we just do football. That's, you know, that's ignorant to believe that's possible because it's one no. of the advertising and, and the platform they have that the players have the following, you know, you have to, you know, take a stand in this and, you know, it's good to see NASCAR setting the tone, you know, cause now no, no, no sports organization has an excuse, right? If NASCAR. No, did. not at all. Yeah. NASCAR did it. The NFL, you know, cop to being wrong four years right. ago. And that, that's the thing too, is like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't with some of these athletes because, like, you look at LeBron James, you know, LeBron James the perfect example is um, you can't find a better role model for African-Americans than LeBron James. The guy has yeah. been with the same girl for most of his life, has kids, mm-hmm. has no, you know, infidelities outside of his marriage, nothing like that. And then mm-hmm. he speaks out on politics and he gets told by Lauren Ingram to shut up and dribble. But, you know, when, when, when an African-American, you know, does screw up, you know, that does make a mistake in their life, um, you know, they're, they're getting scolded. It's like, you need to be a better role model. It's like, well, right. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, you're telling them to be a better role model when they screw up, but when they're trying to do the right thing and speak up and, you know, take a stand, you tell them to stick to sports. You can't ever just stick to sports, man. It's a joke, you know. What happened four years ago with Colin Kaepernick, you know, all the shit that came out, the narrative that was written on it, it was a joke, you know, he's, you know, oh, he's just doing this for publicity because he's, you know, he's losing, he, he, he lost his starting job, all yeah. the shit that came with that. That was a joke, man. Yeah, it had nothing lot, to do with it. Yeah. There's a lot of people who probably wouldn't admit it today, but, you know, uh, talk, talk shit on Kaepernick, uh, you know, discredited his stance and his platform. And, and, you know, I'm from, from, you know, people with a platform themselves or just amongst friends and stuff. I've called a few of my friends out, you know, like, Me like too. The argument we had about Kaepernick, like, here you go, you know, you're, you're dead wrong, you know? And I think a lot of people are uh, realizing that, and, you know, you're, te- you're telling me that Nathan Peterman was better than Colin Kaepernick. Like he wasn't good enough to be in the league. Get the hell out of here. There's so, there were so many, even the, even the year of and the year after when, you know, essentially was, you know, shunned out of the league um that you know 
there were at least, I'd say, eight to ten starters each of those years that Colin Kaepernick could have played over. Um, you know, and his last year with San Francisco wasn't even bad. I think he didn't play a full season. I only think he threw, like, two or four picks and had, like, 16 passing touchdowns and I don't know how many for rushing, but he was a mobile quarterback. But you're going to sit and tell me that guy isn't good enough. Like, you're not going to, especially with some of the quarterbacks I've seen roll through Buffalo before Josh Allen. You know, yeah. some of the, you know, you're not going to sit here and tell me he's not going to take, we could have picked him up, you know, five or six times, probably. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, we could have. It was, you know, yeah, it was a joke. Unfortunately, um, but it's one of those things who knows what goes behind the doors, goes on behind the doors yeah. of NFL ownership, you know, meeting. Uh, you worry about money, all about money and, you know, not, not being. Yeah. In, people being afraid to be you know and that was the big thing too is they needed they needed more white players to speak up to and nobody did now they are now they are four years later but i think a lot of this drew Brees comes out some serious backlash for you know uh from his own teammates too yeah yeah and it's and it's you know and that's part of the process of you know learning when someone says something like that or or comes out that way it's not necessarily you got to come out and take their head off but you got to kind of pull them you know it's it's a pull them aside and say, kind of explain it to them, like, "Hey, this is why, you know, it's upsetting that you said that." And um, you know, it's good for him that he came back and kind of said, "You know, I had it wrong," and thank you to my teammates for, you know, calling me out and holding me accountable. Yeah, I, and I would hope too that's what it was. That it wasn't him just saying it. I think, uh, to, I think Drew Brees is a good guy. You know, yeah, he, look what he's got done for New Orleans. Look what he's done yeah. for that city. The money, what he's given back. You, you would like to, you know, you want to think that 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 was the root of it. That that you know, people got in his ear and he actually listened. And that's how you're going to solve all this. Just to shut the fuck up and listen to, 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 you, you, to, to yeah. the. And some people just have to understand the concept that you can't identify your own bias. That's the definition of a bias. And and when people try to tell you that or show you, you know, how your way of thinking is is misaligned. You have to be open to it. And it sounds like, you know, he was, and, you know, good, good for him to be you know, evolved enough to be able to do that. So yeah, your, and it, in New Orleans, you know, he, he's done a lot for that city with, with a huge population of African-Americans. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that it took all 10 minutes for him to realize, yeah, that was, that was a mistake. Yeah, and you know what? Um, hopefully that's just the beginning that like, a lot more white athletes, I know Aaron Rodgers is very, you know, outspoken politically, at least on his Twitter account. But it's hopefully visually, you know, he follows up and, you know, does the right thing this year and isn't afraid to stand with his brothers in Green Bay or just around the NFL. Yeah. You know, because regardless of skin color, those are your brothers. You go to battle with them every every Sunday. Sure. sure. And you're, uh, you're a good teammate. You know, you know, you're 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 good great friends with your teammates you 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 know empathize with them and their situations and, and their you know viewpoint of the world and you know you stand in solidarity with them i i you know i agree i hope i we see more of it you know it's shocking that it's taken this long especially in the nfl but when the when the league is blackballing players that's you know that's what happens it's a good way it's a to huge problem it. yeah you know and I, I said, I hope that um, this is the beginning of the end, you know, you know, I, I wouldn't say just for racism, just, you know, just, you know, this is the beginning of something uh, better for not just black athletes, but just African-Americans in general moving forward that, you know, we can bring a, an end to police brutality and just racism, and, you know, 
in most respects. And, you know, just, just like I said, the only way I think it's going to end is if we just finally start listening to each other and just, you know, put, put aside, you know, the way we were brought up, you know, cause I saw a video today that was absolutely disgusting of a woman in a Confederate waving a Confederate flag around during a peaceful protest saying I'm, and she flat out said, I'm going to teach my grandchildren to hate you. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nuts. Like what? Yeah. yeah it was just a while. Yeah. There's always gonna be nuts people out there. Yeah. I think that the success of, of everything that's happening hinges on, you know, the idea that, that the majority of people, you know, can put aside, you know, their bias and, and understand, you know, the, the facts of the situation and, and, you know, come to the consensus that yes, this is, you know, the, the direction we need to head and, and the voices, you know, the number of voices, you know, promoting that movement um, eventually will just drown out those outlier crazy people like the lady you're referring to, you know, I've seen a couple of videos of that too, you know, people like purposely trying to get on video footage and, and go viral being racist. You know, it's like, you always have the crazies. It's just important that the majority of people kind of, you know, drown them out. And at the end of the day, man, it's like, what, what does that get you as a person, you know, being like that, you know, put, put, people what, nothing, what, yeah, just people who are living, you know, bored lives, unfulfilling lives, or, or have some type of, you know, past trauma. I don't know who, who knows what, why people do those types of things. It's crazy. To me, you know? yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't help that the biggest voice in the country, I'm not saying uh, agrees with them, but doesn't really, doesn't really stop at trying to add fuel to the flames every chance he gets. Well, so. I think that's important. You know, part of this is that getting to the point where if you have to pick a side, you know, you, you have to mm-hmm. you know, lean one way or the other, you can't you know, stay on the fence and, and kind of play Switzerland and, you know, and yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, going back to leadership of sports teams and, and states and countries that, uh, you know, it seems that uh, there's a lack of it or at least a lack of organization and on all facets of organizations right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, improvements to come and we'll see how, you know, the next few months go. It'll be interesting, no doubt. Yeah, and it may not be always prevalent in uh, the NHL as far as racism goes, but it does exist. And, yeah. you know, you see, you see kind of what came out, too, not from the racial aspect, but what's come out with Daniel Carcillo and uh, that I, – I, the other name escapes me. Well, Akeem Alou came out about the, the coach. Yeah. You know, it's there, you know, and there's these, you know, these coaches who just – you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's no excusing it. There's no, you know, you can go in their backgrounds, how they're brought up. It, it's just, it's inexcusable. And that's just the fact of it. So um, those yep. people, those people got to, you know, either rehabilitate and change their ways or they got to go. Simple as that. There's no room for it. Speaking of Daniel Carcillo, obviously that thing dropped where he's got that lawsuit against the CHL too. Uh, I didn't with see that. Oh, oh, we could discuss that, you know, off air. Maybe we bring that up uh, another uh, another episode. But he's suing him and another uh, former uh, WHL or CHL player are suing all of those leagues, WHL, OHL, CHL, um, because of the bullying and hazing that they endured while playing junior hockey. 
And I, I highly suggest you read this article because it was tough to read because of some of the, not just physical and verbal abuse they went through, but the sexual abuse they went through, you know, yeah. during their hazing and co- coaches being involved too. Coaches and staff members knowing about it and just turning a blind eye to it, just assuming it's part, it's part of the culture and that, you know, this is what you're going to have to do if you want to play. It, it was, it was hard to stomach. It, it was hard to read, man. I'll tell you, my brother played in the O. It was the OJHL, I think, at the time. Yep. You know, you know, before like the USHL and the and the NHL formed, and it was it was you know rough league. You know, mostly older guys, and you know, by his description of it and everything, by the time I got to like my OHL draft year, and and there was some debate, you know, is OHL the route? Is college the route? It was a no-brainer for me. I was like, it sounds like a circus on some of those, you know, teams, and, and mm-hmm. I want nothing to do with it. You know, I would, I would have gotten eaten alive, probably. You know, I would have been like, I, I would have quit hockey if I had, was subjected. To it something. makes you lose your love for the game. Yeah. You know, it makes you, you know, you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to take that kind of abuse. I personally went through a lot of abuse in high school hockey as a freshman yeah. playing in varsity. Right. It was bad, man. Like, yeah. you know, I won't get too deep into it right now, but it was bad. You know, yeah. not to the extent that maybe. Carcillo and you know the, I forget his name is Casey that they went through but um it was bad for me you know I was a loner on my team you know I did I you know everybody you know I came onto that team as the new guy and everybody was already friends even on the you know even with my own fellow classmen I was a loner and I was kind of singled out a lot and a lot of things that happened to me again I won't discuss right now but it was bad man and um so I, I I can't fully relate to maybe what these kids are going through, but I I under like I I feel for them and you know it, it sucks and I hope that you know people are held accountable and you know people are punished you know for the things the the, the accusations that are being made right now because it's disgusting it's it's really gut wrenching. Yeah. Well, especially you know the, the if there's coaches, staff, people people who are aware of it, you know, involved in it. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, these are kids who you were charged with kids. the supervision of, of these kids. Minors. Yeah. And you let it become, you know, what's the, uh, what is it? Uh, Lord of the flies, you know, you, you let it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. That situation. That's your responsibility. Um, yeah. And, and uh, unfortunately with, with abuse and, and this type of stuff, it's a cycle, you know, the, the, the players involved in it, the coaches involved in it, many of them, you know, suffered through it probably too. And it's the, and that shit's got to go as well in, in, in hockey and, and other sports. The, the, that's, you know, it, the term can get thrown around and mean a lot of things, but to me, that's kind of this, you know, male macho toxicity that can really, you know, ruin lives and cause tons of, tons of, you know, mental health issues and, and and again, if you're a true fan of sports, you know how many players, you know, the the next Connor McDavid, you know, or somebody could have been lost to the game of hockey because you know they they suffered through something like that, and that's you know I did a disservice to the to the game. It's it's fucked up, man. And you know, I hope I hope this is the beginning of the end for that as well because it has no place. You know, there's no place in our game in any in any sport, but you know, again, in our game too. It's, yeah, it sucks. But, well, no, I'm. 
But uh, any final thoughts, uh, Connor, before we wrap things no, up here? I'd be curious to see how it plays out with, with the Sabres and, um, you know, the NHL season as a whole. And, uh, you know, I think that it's definitely a stay-tuned uh, period of time. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, may, more major news is, is going to hit the waves over the next few weeks. Uh, yep, true, true. Um, same thing here, man. Like I said, I, uh, I hope. I, I've heard I've heard names like uh, being thrown around as far as an assistant GM goes, like Rick Dudley being thrown around. I think that'd be an amazing hire. The guy has experience and he can help guide Kevin Adams in yeah. this new position, especially coming into his first draft and first uh, free agency period. So we'll see what happens here, man. Um, I'm very hopeful um, that you know this is the beginning of something special. Let's hope, you know. We yeah. don't have much to go off of as far as or you know the sample size that we have with the Pagulas, but Let's hope that maybe these are the right moves that finally made. They really, you know, bring us back to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. And I don't think we talked much about the, the Boston Globe article, but there was a, you know, good article that, you know, if, if people are curious, they should look up uh, basically comparing, you know, the Sabres dismal stretch to uh, a, pre a previous dismal stretch by the Bruins. that was even worse. Um, and, you know, obviously they eventually crawled out of it. So, um, I know it's been a long time, but uh, <laughs> you know maybe it just takes a little bit longer to push through. Let's hope. Oh, uh, God. Let's hope sooner rather than later, because I don't want to write. I don't want to waste any more of these Jack Eichel years. <laughs> right, right. That's the thing is, you know, you're on the clock now, so um, it's it's time for you know. There's all sorts of sayings: rubber meet the road, all that. But they got to start producing. Uh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, on that note, we will. Uh, wrap things up here connor uh as always man it's been a pleasure to talk to you i uh i'd love to get you on next week we're going to be having uh former sabers goaltender uh and uh, now current author clint malarchuk on the show i'm really excited to have him on um you know so hopefully we can get you on with us and me and cully for that one too maybe uh four goalies one mike <laughs> but uh yeah, that'd be, that'd so be awesome. that'd be a great interview with that being said, I know my boy Ty B from Trainwreck has some killer music to uh, end the show on, so we'll kick it over to that right now. I am Dwayne for uh, Two Goalies, One Mike, and for Cully, Connor. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Always uh, appreciate, you know, talking about current events and uh, what's going on in the world of hockey with you guys. Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure to have you. You're an absolute beaut.
everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.